this opportunity to be in your house and to share your word. God, I love you. I pray that you would just use me, speak through me, God. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase. And God, I pray for everyone that is listening right now, that they would be soil, God, that these seeds would take root, that they would be rich, wonderful soil, Lord, that these seeds would take fruit and bloom in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning, beloved, and happy Mother's Day. I want to thank Tiffany for giving me this opportunity to speak, for Tina. I want to thank Tina for the introduction. Thank you to my prayer partners for being my armor bearers, my spiritual armor bearers, my physical armor bearers as of today. <laughs> um, thank you to my sons and daughters of Thunder, who will be so well-behaved there. I'm speaking that into existence right now. And thank you, of course, to Ahne for being such an amazing partner um, and for covering me in prayer and really challenging me as I prepared to preach today. I also want to thank Sumia, who is here uh, with us today for the first time. Sumia is Muslim. She's from Morocco. She was born in Morocco. Um, but she uh, moved to Italy when she was two years old. And she is our au pair. She has been with our family for the past year. And we love Sumia. We call her our eldest daughter. <clears throat> so Sumia told me that Mother's Day, International Women's Day is on March 8th. And I love this because it becomes a day to celebrate all women and girls rather than only people that have biological children. The fact of the matter is that Mother's Day for many can be a painful day. If you've tried to conceive but could not, if you've lost a child, if you've had a child die, if you're a single mother, if you're a single father, if you're a mother who recently lost her spouse, or even if you're just ambivalent about your own relationship to your mother or to mothering yourself, it can be a challenging day. So I like thinking of Mother's Day. I say Happy Mother's Day to everyone. This morning I said Happy Mother's Day to the Uber driver. She was looking at me like... Um, I like to think of Mother's Day as a day to celebrate and validate all women. All the women. Give me all the women, okay? <laughs> The women who have children, the women who choose not to have children, the women who cannot have children, the women who mother spiritually, the women who all throughout this country do work that goes unrecognized, the women who are learning to use their voices, the women who are advocating for others, women from all walks of life. Thank you. This woman right here. Thank you. <laughs> and who better to help us understand the importance of women and girls than Jesus Christ himself? Jesus, my Jesus, loved women 
and affirmed women so, so well. Oh, where are the slides? What's happening? You can put the slides up. <laughs> so my Jesus, he loved and affirmed women. All throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus interacting with women, right? We see him noticing women. We see him talking to women, women that he wasn't supposed to talk to. We see him taking instructions from women. We see him inviting women to the table, claiming women, pointing to women as positive examples, and forgiving women. Jesus treats women with respect and honor. My Jesus is inclusive. His ministry included women. There were women who were part of his group of followers. The first time he reveals himself as the Messiah in the book of Luke, it is to a woman. The first to learn of his resurrection in all the Gospels are women. The first miracle he performs, it's because a woman, his mama, tells him to do it. At one point in Mark and Matthew, a woman um, gets Jesus to change his mind about something. Does anyone know who this is? This is, who is it? Who is it? You don't know? (laughs) It's the Canaanite woman, right? So the woman, Jesus, she's asking Jesus to heal her daughter. And he's like, listen, I didn't come for the lost sheep of Israel. She says, even the dogs, right? And so Jesus is like, oh, okay. And so he changes his mind because of this woman. Jesus actually treated women in ways that were completely countercultural for his deeply patriarchal society in which women were supposed to have inferior status. So Jesus' treatment of women was nothing short of revolutionary. Now, everyone who knows me knows I love a revolution, right? I'm Haitian. It's in our blood. Like, we're really into revolution. So I move right for my Haitians. But Jesus is revolutionary. And I think that we really need to reclaim and think about Jesus as the radical and revolutionary person he was, especially in relation to women. So in today's passage from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43, We see Jesus interacting with a woman who is on the most extreme margins of society and restoring her into the community. Now, I have three readers, pre-selected readers, because like I said, Mother's Day is a day for women and girls, um, who are going to read for me now. And I would love, I don't see, oh, I see one. And where are the other two? They were up, oh, there they are. Okay, great. So you are going to read the scripture Mark chapter 5, 21 to 43. Now, this scripture also appears in Luke chapter 8, or this passage, this story appears in Luke chapter 8, which I also, and you know, I'm going to be working with a little, but I want us to read the Mark version. Thank you. I'm sure I start. Good morning. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, pretty sure I got that right, (laughs) came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell to his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard 
about Jesus, she came up behind in the crowd and touched his cloth because she thought, if I just touch his cloth, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body she was freed from suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see, the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Over your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing out aloud. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kom, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. This passage relates to us two miracles. The first performed on a woman and the second performed on a girl. My mother-in-law, who is also a preacher, she called it the miracle on the way to a miracle. And I wish I could say it the way she did because I told her, no, no, I'm preaching this passage. And she said, oh, yes, the miracle on the way to a miracle. And I was like, oh, can I cite you? Um, so we don't have a lot of information about the woman and the girl other than a few details, some of which they have in common. So we know that they are both unnamed, right? The girl is 12 years old, and the woman has been bleeding for 12 years. So in fact, thinking about Brother Troy's, um, Brother Troy's message from a few weeks ago, we could say that the woman has been dead for 12 years, and the girl has been alive for 12 years, right? So this is an important contrast. The woman is poor, whereas the girl is very privileged. We also know all about the girl's family. She is the beloved only child of her mother and father. When her father calls her little daughter, I read this the first time, and I thought, 12 is really not little. Well, you saw the young women before us, right? They are, what, 10, 12, and 11, am I right? 
And they're, they're not that little. I mean, compared to Farah, you know, and Afia, they don't look that little. And so I thought, oh, that's interesting that he calls her little. But in some, in some languages, when you say little like that, it's a, it's, the diminutive is used to designate um, sweetness, right? It's like a, a term of endearment. Um, so also, if we think about in the, in the Jewish context, a girl of the age of 12 is actually being prepared to get married soon, right? So around 13, 14 are the ages when she would be able to do that in that culture. So we can think of little as really a term of endearment here, right? We don't know anything, though, about the woman's family. We have no idea if she has children, if she has a partner, if she has a mother or who her mother and father are. We don't even know what caused her condition. Was it a menstrual cycle that just didn't end? Did she, like me and so many of you I know, have fibroids? Did she have my, my, my dear friend, Dr. Valencia Miller is here and she's an OBGYN and she said it could have also been a polyp, so not just fibroids. So did she have a polyp, right? Did she have a miscarriage? Was it the results of a trauma, like sexual assault. While we don't know the cause of the bleeding, we do know that it has been aggravated by the doctors. So verse 26 says, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. I actually had to read that line a couple of times because I was like, wait, what? Like, despite the care of many doctors? No, under the care of the doctors she suffered. So for anyone who studies public health, like Ahine did, you know, we know that lack of access can affect the kind of care you get, right? They call this healthcare disparities. We've heard there's been a lot of the, in the news lately about um, black women and maternal care and the fact that um, black women are, are, are experiencing um, maternal, um, maternal mortality at a greater rate than other women in this country, right? So when sick people who are also poor and from marginalized communities don't get the care that they need and have their condition aggravated by the people who are supposed to care for them, or when doctors do harm to people that are less valuable in society, this is a form of injustice, right? This is a justice issue. When you go to a doctor and you pay to be made well, to be made worse is a form of injustice. And when you run out of money and you, can no, you can't, you know, she didn't have anyone on the board of any of the hospitals in the city, right? She didn't, she had nothing, there was nothing she could do. So although we don't have many details about the woman, personal, her personal background, Based on the fact that she suffers this form of injustice and what we see her do in the passage, we do know a lot about her character, her emotions, and the kind of woman she is. And I really love this woman because I think her actions and her character remind me of so many women I know. And it's that part of the story, in addition to many other things, that I want to focus on today. Well, that we can learn a lot from in addition to many things, but that I will focus on today. So this woman is persistent. She reminds me of a lot of people I know. People I've read about, people I go to church with, people I've worked with, people I've loved, advocated for. Because she is a survivor. You see, the word survivor, in addition to meaning, there's a slide missing there somewhere. Oh, there we go, thank you. The word survivor, in addition to meaning someone who has remained alive after an event where many people die, survivor also just means a person who copes with difficulties in their life. 
this woman copes with the difficulties in her life and she is determined to overcome them. She is unrelenting in her pursuit of healing. She tries everything and she never gives up, even after she has spent all of her money. How many of us, after we had spent all of our money, would have just given up? Would have just said, you know what? Maybe healing just isn't in the plan for me. How many of us would think like, okay, maybe God, God is clearly trying to do a work in me through this blood. He's washing me with the blood, the blood of Jesus. Be with me, over me, in me, through me, everywhere in me. This is just my, this is my lot. This is my cross to carry. Right? How many of us would have said this? Not that woman. This woman, and can you go back to the two previous ones? The first, nevertheless, you just next. Okay, thank you. So this woman, she refused to accept her condition. It's important that she not only um, goes out, you know, to tries to touch Jesus, but that she does so through a crowd, right? So as early as in Mark chapter 3, we see that crowds are beginning to form around Jesus, right? There's always a crowd around Jesus, right? Mark chapter 3 says the news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and a vast number of people came to see him. In the passage that we read for today, crowd appears at least three times. Have you ever been in a huge crowd, a huge crowd? pressed up again. I was at the Women's March in 2016, at 2017. And I mean, that crowd, I'm an extrovert, so I actually love crowds, but I was afraid. <laughs> I was like, what if I lose my group? I'm never going to make it back to Boston. But big crowds can be, you know, a little bit nerve-wracking for people, even those of us who love to be pressed up against people like me. This woman, though, the fact that she went into that crowd, that she would deign to go into that crowd, is especially important in the context of her social status. So if we go to Leviticus chapter 15, verses 25 to 27, we see that this woman was considered unclean, right? So I'm not going to read all of this, but if you look at the passage, I highlighted the unclean. So basically, if you're a woman, anytime you're bleeding, you're considered unclean, right? And so... If you exceed that period, you're considered unclean, right? So you're considered ceremonial unclean. There are things you can't participate in. In a culture that's deeply religious, you cannot participate because of this quote-unquote uncleanliness, right? So because she's considered unclean, no one should touch her. The passage in Leviticus says very clearly, if you touch anything, if you touch the person or anything that they have, then you too are unclean. So to be pressed up in a crowd, if anyone knew that this woman was bleeding, she would have been called out, right? She would have, they would have distanced themselves from her. So she is taking a risk by going to Jesus. And she also, I love this, because she touches Jesus, right? She wants to touch Jesus because she knows that Jesus can't touch her because of the tradition. And that, you know, I read that passage and I'm like, ooh, This woman doesn't know my Jesus who will touch you no matter what. She doesn't know my Jesus who, no matter how unclean people say you are, no matter how wrong people think you are, no matter how ashamed people say you should be of yourself, Jesus will touch you. So this persistent, strong-willed woman pushes through the crowd and successfully touches Jesus. I also think it's important, sorry, I'm going back a little bit, but like... 
remember, she's unprivileged, right? It was the other thing I said. So, right, she's poor and Jairus is privileged, right? So Jairus was like, please come touch my daughter. Like, Jairus had access, right? Jairus was like, yes, I'm on the list. Like, I'm, I'm first in line. I'm Jairus. I'm here. I've been out with some of y'all. I know when you're on the list, you know, it's, nice. it's a nice feeling to be on the list and not have to wait in line. It's a nice feeling. And so Jairus, Jairus is like, yes, please come. He humbles himself and he says, please come help my daughter. Come and, and lay hands on my daughter. Come and touch my daughter and she will be healed, right? So Jairus knew that Jesus' touch would heal his daughter. This woman also knew that Jesus' touch would heal her daughter, but she didn't think she was worth it. She's also unlike the centurion, right? Remember the centurion, the story of the centurion, who comes to Jesus and says he has an enslaved person that he wants Jesus to heal. And he says, you know what, Lord? Again, access, right? Lord, only say the word and he shall be healed. And Jesus is impressed by his faith and he does it. But I think, again, this is also about access, right? So I could deliver a whole sermon on the difference between reaching out to touch Jesus and being touched and asking Jesus to touch you and access and privilege, but we're not going to go there today. We're going to stay on task. So... This woman thinks, okay, Jesus has the power to heal me. If only I can touch him, not him, but his clothes, right? In Luke, it says the hem of his garment. She says, if only I can touch him, then I will be healed. Not maybe I'll be healed. Not if I can touch him, then maybe it'll be okay. I have a dear, dear friend whose father I also refer to as my father was recently healed of cancer. And when the man, I saw the man on Monday, and he said, there's no more cancer. And I was like, what? No, what? And I'm like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And then I was like, oh, we prayed. But I don't believe it. And I was like, but we prayed, and we declared it. And I remember when my friend declared it. And I was like, but, you know, she declared it. Then, like, why does, it, why does he have cancer? Because she declared it before it was, you know, the, he got the official prognosis from the doctors. And I kept being like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Yay, praise God. I don't believe it. I was like, why don't I, why don't I believe, right? Like, why don't I just believe? Um, but not the woman, you know, she believed. She didn't say maybe. She said, she didn't say we're going to pray for my friend's dad and maybe we pray he's going to get healed. She was like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to get healed. So this woman persisted, right? There's a popular, you know, this, this expression that became very popular in 2017. Nevertheless, she persisted. And it was based on, oh yeah, I forgot I had that in there. Thank you. Yes, to persist. <laughs> it means to stand, click, 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 <laughs> to continue steadfastly or firmly in some state, purpose, or course of action, or the like, especially in spite of opposition and obstacles, right? You can click again two more times. And it comes from the Latin. I love Latin. It comes from the Latin, right? So it means to stand tenaciously, persistere. Um, So a few years ago, we heard a lot about Elizabeth Warren, right? And this was during the confirmation hearings of Attorney General Jeff Sessions. This was in the aftermath. You know, the other night we were at Fan Into Flames, and (laughs) all he did was saying, like, some of y'all are still upset that Hillary Clinton didn't win, right? He said that the other night. And I was like, I know he's trying to talk to me right now. But nevertheless, I'm bringing that up. So in the aftermath, right, we saw a surge of women, women's empowerment, right? We saw a surge of women standing up to, to um, re- the resistance, right, to join the resistance. We saw women who this, this year, there's an unprecedented number of women running for office, right, at all levels, right? So 
Elizabeth Warren, this was during the Senate confirmations of Attorney General Jeff Sessions, and Elizabeth Warren was asking her questions, and she, and some, and she was being shut down, right? And, and so the man says about her, you know, she was warned, she was forewarned, nevertheless, she persisted. And then nevertheless, she persisted became this mantra. People were like, yeah, that's right, she persisted. We should persist, we should always persist. Um, there are these books, there are these children's books, if you can go back, I actually have them with me, so you don't have to go to the slide. But they have these books. They have the U.S. version, and then there's the international one, right? So again, these books are about 13 women who changed the world and 13 women who changed U.S. history. And so these books have people in them like, you know, Harriet Tubman, right, the formerly enslaved woman who led the Underground Railroad. They have people in them like Sandra Sotomayor, the first Supreme Latina Supreme Court judge. Um, and they're great books. And I love books that are about empowerment, right? My boys and my girls know I love books that are about empowerment. Sumia knows. She's like, we don't have these books in Italy. We have tons of them at our house. Um, Dr. Didi Dynamo, right? She's empowered, right? Like Dr. Onika, not even the sky is the limit. That's a message of empowerment, right? And empowerment is important. And I love empowerment. I, I love empowerment. I think everyone should be empowered. But this woman's empower, form of empowerment is different because she is imp empowered by Jesus's power, right? It's the power that Jesus has in him that goes out of her that allows her to persist, right? So the motor of her persistence is this understanding of God's power, right? The source of her strength, you can keep going. I think it's like Three slides at this point. I don't know what's happening with the slides. I thought they were in order. The strength, right? So it's that persistence that gives her the strength to be a survivor. The persistence gives her the strength to survive. All of that strength. She is empowered because of God's power. And, you know, I really think Jesus loves persistent women. I know. I shouldn't say. I think. I know. In Luke 18, he tells the parable of the persistent widow, right? And again, a parable is something that you use to give an example of what, how we should be living our lives, what we should be doing. And so he uses this persistent widow, widow who I'm sure, you know, the judge thought she was annoying. People would think she's annoying. How many of you have dealt with strong-willed people, not just women, people who can be annoying, right? Oh, there's not that many show of hands. Don't raise your hand, babe. That's right. Keep it down. <laughs> So persistent, right? So persistence, I think sometimes can get a negative, you know, it can have a negative connotation. But when Jesus uses it as an example, that tells us that this is a quality that we should have, right? The Canaanite woman who I love and I already brought up once, but she's also persistent. And Jesus is so impressed. He actually says, I'm so impressed. I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Women, you have great faith is what he says to her. And when Jesus tells you you have great faith, so faith, this brings me to the second point about this woman. So, oh, 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 yes, faith, thank you. She had the faith to be healed, right? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, your suffering is over. Jesus knows that the woman has been healed, right? Unlike me and my friend's dad who, like, walks into that, like, I, I, I'm not Jesus, so I didn't know right away. But Jesus knows that the woman has been healed. But He's more, he's interested in more than her healing. He's invested in more than her healing. This is why he stops. The disciples are trying to get him to go. They're like, Lord, Lord, there's a crowd. Like, we got to go. Jairus called us. You know, Jairus. Jairus, the synagogue leader. We got to go to Jairus. What? There's a crowd here. Like, let's go. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. Someone touched me. Somebody touched me. 
So he, first of all, names her as someone. He recognizes her personhood, her humanity. This woman who had been unrecognized, who essentially had been cast out of society, right? Because she's unclean, so she's not supposed to be around. This woman is recognized, noticed by Jesus, and called not just a person, but his daughter. Daughter. Jesus affirms that this woman's humanity matters and that it matters enough for him to stop what he's doing and change the plan. How many of us hate changing our plans? I do. I know I do. You can ask my husband. My husband is very, he's very spirit-led, so he will stop anything that we're doing. Sometimes in the morning we're getting ready and he's, you know, playing worship. And I'm like, we got to get the kids ready. Like, let's go. He'll stop. Someone will call. He'll stop. Oh, I, had to, I just had to, JP called me. I just had to talk to JP for three hours. And I'm like, we have to go. We're supposed to be somewhere. We're supposed to be at Fan into Flames at 7. <laughs> That's an inside joke. Okay, so Jesus notices this woman. He notices this woman, and that he notices her makes such a difference in her life. So in the Luke version, it says the woman realizes she could not go unnoticed. So that tells us again that the woman is used to not being noticed, but Jesus notices her, right? This, again, is revolutionary. He calls her daughter, and that's revolutionary because during this time, everyone talked about sons of Abraham, sons of Abraham. But people weren't going around calling these women daughter, right? Jesus does that. He calls us daughter. Regardless of whether or not you're a mother today, you're a daughter. And that is to be celebrated. I also think, oh, I'm not going to go. That's a tangent. But, okay, I'll keep going. So, Jesus wants her to come forward and tell her story, right? So that she can also be restored in the community. So, this is what I mean when I say he had more in store for her. It wasn't just her physical healing that he wanted. He wanted her entire spiritual healing. He wanted her to no longer be broken. He wanted people to recognize her, to see her as a person, to see her as his daughter. She had the faith to be healed. James 2.17 says, without works, faith is dead, right? The NIV puts it this way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. This woman had the faith, so she stepped forward. She pressed through the crowd. She touched the hem of the garment. Jesus says your suffering is all over, not only in reference to the healed blood, but about her life in the margins within a community that refuses to recognize her and refuses to touch her. How many people do we know like this who have been healed physically, but who are still suffering, who are still in anguish, who are still broken? How many people do we know who stand up and who are the first to stand up, I should say, are the first to stand up and have hands laid on them and receive the healing and then just go and act crazy, right? Honestly. How many people believe that full healing only lies in their hands and don't understand that when God adds power to it, it's different? I got to get to the voice testimony because Jody's showing me that I have three seconds. All right, so finally, and I want the kids to hear this before they go. Three seconds before we dismiss the kids. Maybe 15. Finally, so we learn the importance from this woman. We learn the importance of using your voice, right? Because she uses her voice to share her testimony. So the Luke one is a little bit, you know, more um, illustrious. Uh, illustri-
left for good for this purpose. But so in the Luke one, she comes, it says she comes forward and she tells all that happened to her in front of everyone is what in this loose translation. But, um, and that is so important because Jesus wants to restore her into the community, but in order for her to be restored, she has to share her testimony. She has to speak up. She has to use her voice. She has to be heard. She can't be silent anymore. We realize Malala, I love Malala. How many people have heard the you know, story of Red Malala? Yes, I know some like, that's right, Baron and Adam. Okay, so Malala said, we realize the importance of our voices only when we are silenced. I just imagine this woman, I sent a song to a few people the other day about that I imagine her singing. I just imagine this woman's voice, what it must have sounded like. She was so afraid, right? She was afraid. She realized she couldn't go unnoticed. She goes into the middle and then she tells what happened and I just imagine that testimony being so glorious because Jesus wants her to tell her story and share her testimony because it is an example to those around her and because when she testifies God gets the glory and it encourages everyone including Jairus right so Jairus with the access here's this story And then he finds out his daughter's dead. And Jesus says to him, do not fear, just believe. And because of this woman, Jairus actually knows what that looks like now, right? Because of this woman who, unlike him, didn't have any of the world's power and privilege, was able to be healed by Jesus, pressed through the crowd, he's able to believe. Because of this woman, what seemed like an interruption or a distraction is actually a powerful testimony that needed to be shared and that Jairus needed to hear to help him know that his 12-year-old daughter would be healed. So this woman, this survivor, is an example to all of us because she is, because of her strength, her faith, and because of her voice. My prayer for each of us is that we would have the strength, the faith, and the voice to be empowered by God's power and to use our voices to uplift others and give him glory. It's time for the children to go to Sunday school. But before they go, I just want the girls to stand up and the women in the church to just stand up. And I want to pray over you because I know that we've had lots of times of people coming forward to prayer. And one thing that's been on my heart for several months now is to pray for you all. God, I thank you, thank you, thank you that you have a heart for women. I thank you that you love all of your children equally, God. I thank you for each of the women and the girls here, Lord. I thank you, God, for their silent struggles. Whatever those may be, God, I pray that they would have the faith and the strength to touch you, God, and to reach out and touch you. I pray, God, that you would also empower them with your power so that they know that truly not even the sky is the limit, but that's because we have the heavens. Bless them, God. May they enjoy their day today, God. For any of them for whom this day is painful, God, I speak to that pain, Lord God, and I ask that you just enter into it with them, Lord. I thank you that you have seen them, that you have heard them, that you notice them, that you love them, that you affirm them, that you elevate. 
I pray that they would all go in peace and know that you are with them in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you all. Bye-bye. Bye, Sasa. Bye, Thea. Bye, Bidiaco. All right, we have, a se- we have a, a second part. This is what I love. I always thought this was weird, right? I don't understand. I'm like, they dismiss people, and then Bishop keeps preaching. So what's happening? And then as I was preparing, I'm like, oh, that means I get to preach two sermons. <laughs> a double portion. <laughs> All right, so the next part of this, I want us to think about what Jesus is doing in this passage, right? The other thing that's great, you know, this is why I love, I love the Gospels. I will read the Gospels back and forth, in and out, through and through, because I want to be like Jesus. And I think the best way to be like Jesus is to see what Jesus is doing. Oh, no, Tara, I forgot you have to go. You're going to love this part. Okay, so Jesus' compassion, Jesus' compassion. So the things that matter to Jesus, what matters to Jesus? In this passage, we see that compassion, justice, and God's plan matter to Jesus. The passage really resonates with me because of what, it te- of what it tells us about Jesus' compassion. We see that he makes no distinction between people of high rank and people of lower status, right? No favoritism with Jesus. We see also that he has a heart for justice. And we see how he is simultaneously able to be present in relationship with people while holding God's plan, right? So again, this is like, the perfect balance, I think, between me and Ahne, who's gone now. But it's like you're present in relationship, but then you're also thinking of the plan, the larger plan, right? Adele Calhoun writes in The Spiritual Disciplines that for Jesus, compassion is a call to action, to healing, and to restoration. I reflect a lot on Jesus' compassion because in my own life, it has inspired my work both personally and professionally. The Greek word for compassion, comes from a word called esplani, I can never pronounce it, esplanchniste, to be moved in the inward parts, to be moved in your guts. That's what it is to feel compassion. It's the strongest, this word that is used, um, and several passages in the Gospels. It's the strongest possible word for compassion. And in the Gospels, it's only used to describe Jesus. So if Jesus is doing something, we should do it. It's also always accompanied by a verb. It's not just a feeling. It's not when you feel sad that something happened to someone. It's not when you feel sorry for the refugees. It's more than empathy. So if we're doing things Jesus' way, then we have to be people of compassion, people who care about justice. Hebrews 13, chapter three, Hebrews 13, verse 3 says, remember those who are suffering as though you yourselves were suffering. I love that verse. I love that verse so much that I put it in the acknowledgement of my book, like an academic book. You can do it, Jonathan. You can do it too. I put that verse in my book because it was why God told me to write the book that I wrote, which I'll talk about in a little bit. So Jesus' compassion for human suffering always led him to do something. Every single time this word is used, right? There's a verb with it. So for example, he has compassion on the widow whose son dies in Luke 7. So he raises her son from the dead. He has compassion on a man being tormented by a demon, so he casts out the demon. 
He had compassion for the woman with the issue of blood, so he gave her a double portion of healing. Beloved, just like faith without works is dead, compassion without work is useless. My sister showed me a quote on Pinterest. I love Pinterest. There's so much stuff. She said to me, oh, yes, there's this quote. My sister, Pastor Kia, said to me, compassion without action is just observation. In truth, justice, in the Jesus way, Eugene Peterson, the author of the message, reminds us that, quote, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But so often, we focus exclusively on truth and life and forget about the way. And when I was discussing this with my husband, he was saying that, you know, I always thought about the way in the sense of, you know, Jesus is the way to God, right? It's the path to God, right? And so, you know, me, the literary scholar, I'm like, well, way is this, and way is this, and way is this, and way is how we do things, right? So there are multiple interpretations. So the way, Jesus' way, is how we're supposed to do things. Jesus' way is compassion and justice. Beloved, let's not be so focused on truth and life that we forget to do things Jesus' way. I know personally that compassion, that paying attention to your gut leads to action and working against injustice because in my own life, God has made it so by his grace. When one of my best friends told me that she was a rape survivor, my gut moved. I cried. I felt for her. I felt something beyond me. Like I didn't know what was happening to me. And she asked me, has this happened to you too? And I was like, no, but I I was just overcome. God planted that feeling in me so that I could do something about it. This is why I became an advocate for survivors of sexual violence. This is why I wrote a book about sexual violence. This is why I'm in the fall, I'll be teaching a class on rape culture at Boston College with 75 students. You know my Catholic institution, they did not like the title of that class, but this is part of my calling, right? We had to change the title of the class, but it's still going to be about rape culture. <laughs> it's now called, it's now called where hashtag Black Lives Matter meets hashtag Me Too, violence and representation in the diaspora, but I can tell you more about that later. But this is why I have been working with other Christians in Boston at Bethel AME with Reverend Dr. Gloria White Hammond to figure out what we, what the church can do to end sexual victimization. Because the church is the place where we should be addressing these things. So what about you? What moves your gut? One of my spiritual mothers, Pastor Valerie Copeland, said to me, if something makes you angry, Ask God what you're supposed to do about it. Maybe it's racism. Police brutality. Poverty. Income inequality. Homelessness. The refugee crisis. The rights of undocumented people. Cancer. War the prison industrial complex. Unfortunately, the list is very long. But the list is long because the harvest is plentiful. PT, if this is the year of the harvest and the harvest is ready, then we have to ask ourselves what it means to have the compassion of Jesus. The compassion, that's that feeling in your gut that leads you to action. 
So in closing, I want to take a moment for you, for us all to pray together. And I would love for some music to be played while you're praying. And I want you to pray about what moves your gut. Pray and ask God what you should do about it. Ask God for the strength, the courage, and the faith to believe that you are equipped to work in the harvest and the courage to go out and do that work. God, I thank you so much for this community. I thank you for this church where we have truth and life in abundance, God. I thank you for all of the healers, all of the teachers, all of the pastors, all of the workers, all of the people here, Jesus. God, I pray for the things that move us in our gut. I pray that you would move our hearts, oh God. I pray that you would help us, God, to see the contours of the harvest. I pray that when we pray and speak about the harvest, Lord, that it's not abstract, but that you make that concrete for us and that we courageously go forward and take those concrete steps to do the work of your kingdom, to do the work for your kingdom. I pray that you would give these people eyes to see what that means for them, Jesus.